You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Jesús y Belzebú. Luego entró en una casa y de nuevo se aglomeró tanta gente que ni siquiera podrían, podían comer él y sus discípulos. Cuando se enteraron, sus parientes salieron a hacerse cargo de él porque decían, está fuera de sí. Los maestros de la ley que habían llegado de Jerusalén decían, está poseído por Belzebú. Expulsa a los demonios por medio del príncipe de los demonios. Entonces Jesús los llamó y les habló en parábolas. ¿Cómo puede Satanás expulsar a Satanás? Si un reino está dividido contra sí mismo, ese reino no puede mantenerse en pie. Y si una familia está dividida contra sí misma, esa familia no puede mantenerse en pie. Igualmente, si Satanás se levanta contra sí mismo y se divide, no puede mantenerse en pie, sino que ha llegado a su fin. Ahora bien, nadie puede entrar en la casa de alguien fuerte y arrebatarle sus bienes a menos que primero los ate. Solo entonces podrá robar su casa. Les aseguro que todos los pecados y blasfemias se les perdonarán a todos por igual, excepto a quienes blasfemen contra el Espíritu Santo. Este no tendrá perdón jamás. Es culpable de un pecado eterno. Es que ellos habían dicho, tiene un espíritu maligno. Es palabra de Dios. All right, we're reading from Mark chapter 3, verse 20. This is the NIV in English. Then Jesus entered a house, and again the crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. And the teacher of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. 
He said this because they were saying, He has an evil spirit. The word of the Lord for the people of God. So we're uh, looking at the Gospel of Mark, and uh, it's the shortest and most uh, early of the first century uh, biographies of Jesus Christ, the most famous man in the world. And uh, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark backwards, uh, and the reason we're doing that is, I think, in going backwards, uh, it sometimes helps us to see things we don't normally see, to pay attention to the structure of the book, especially to the broad outline of the two parts. So the second part of the Gospel of Mark is all about what Jesus came to do, but you don't really get into that until you first, chapters 1 through 8, know what he uh, is, not just who he is, but what he is, like what is this um, thing that walks among us. And um, it was a very highly contested fact. What, what is this person? Um, in the first century, in his own day even, it was a highly contested fact. Um, in verse 21, you see that even his family, Mark is not embarrassed to record that even the family of Jesus said that he is beside himself. Um, some of the later manuscripts changed that because they were so embarrassed that the fact that that was in the Bible. Who would ever make that up? Why would Mark ever make that up? That Jesus was crazy. His own family, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, at this point, for some reason, thought that he was, he was out of his mind. So um, that's one perspective. On the other hand, verse 30, the scribes, the, the official religious leaders uh, of the day, thought that he was evil. He had an in, unclean spirit. That's another way of saying he was evil. Uh, in John 10, 20, you see both of these sides all at once. Many said he has a demon or he's mad. So either he is a liar, he's, he has a demon, he's evil, he's deceptive. He's, uh, he's either a liar or he is a lunatic. He's absolutely crazy. Uh, he was insane. He was like Jim Jones. Uh, he was like Kim Jong-un, like just somebody who's out of their mind. They think they're divine. Or, or the third option is he's the Lord of the universe, that he's exactly what he said he was. And for me, becoming a Christian when I was an atheist, there was a chapter in Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis where he sets out this trilemma where either Jesus is the Lord of the universe or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. Nobody in his day thought he was a great moral teacher. So if you're here tonight and you think that Jesus Christ was a great moral teacher, that's not an option that was left open to you. You have to choose between those three. Those are the only three choices. Now, a lot of 20th century scholars say, well, he never claimed he was the Lord. But I would wonder how they know that when Mark didn't know that. Or how would the 20th century scholar know that he didn't claim he was the Lord when the Gospel of John is so clear that he was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God? All of the New Testament documents uh, proclaim the fact that he is God. So either that's a crazy claim, an evil claim, or it's a true claim. And so that's what we are looking at tonight. Um, who is this man? And the people around him, some, many thought he was a deceiver. He was a seducer. Uh, and Mark is saying he is an undeceiver. He is an anti-seducer. He's actually putting us in our right minds. So either, he, either Jesus is making you crazy by following him, or he's making you sane. So I want to look at, first of all, the liar, um, and then the liberator. Those two things, the liar and the liberator. And the liar is this, uh, this, this being that Jesus refers to as the strong man. Very strange phrase. Verse 27 is a very short parable that Jesus tells. Uh, no man can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of this strong man. When I became a Christian, I heard a song by Rich Mullins. He's a great artist. But this song uh, was called The Strong Man. I had no idea what he was talking about. And here's three of the lines. The strong man strangles the universe. He drowns the stars. He's blinded by the mission of a thousand wars. And I had no idea what Rich Mullins was talking about. I didn't know what the strong man referred to. But then I read this. And I thought, okay, that's, that's, it's, it's this thing that Jesus came up with. Turns out Jesus didn't come up with it. He's referring back to this other book called The Testament of Levi. And in The Testament of Levi, there's a satanic deceiver. Uh, Belial is his name. And basically he buffaloes human beings into thinking uh, that God is not real. With this fog of lies. He deceives everyone. He seduces everyone. That's, that's what the strong man is in The Testament of Levi. It's like the giant uh, in Doubting Castle, if you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, or it's like Putin telling uh, the, the people of Ukraine, uh, you know, we are here to liberate you. That's what the strong man does. Uh, he's, you know, Putin actually quoted Jesus. I don't know if you've heard this, but in a recent speech, he quotes Jesus, uh, greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And he was saying, uh, you know, we, the Russian army, are here laying down our lives for you Ukrainians, our friends, to liberate you. And that's what the strong man does. He seduces us into thinking uh, that he is our liberator, uh, that he is the one who is here for our good. And uh, you see the deception of the strong man uh, in these two different groups, the, the family of Jesus and then these scribes that come down. They are both affected by uh, the seduction and the deception of this strong man. Um, so the family, first of all, the family, uh, they're watching uh, how hard Jesus is working or how much he's overworking. Uh, they're watching uh, him feed all these people, do all these miracles. He's not sleeping. Uh, he's not eating at all. He's exhausted by all of this work. And uh, it says the crowd gathered again in verse 20. And it was so many people. Uh, Jesus was not even eating. So he's probably emaciated. He's withering away. He's exhausted. And the, the, the family finally decides we're going to set up an intervention. And we're going to have him kind of the equivalent be, you know, put away. Uh, we're going to have him um, taken off. And uh, he's not in his right mind. So we're going to have him taken away and put in some kind of place where they take care of people with mental illness. So verse 21, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. They want him committed. And they said he is out of his mind. And out of his mind means he's lost touch with reality. Uh, which is sadly how a lot of Americans view the church. So just by calling yourself a Christian, uh, hate to break this to you, but a lot of people think you're going to uh, be cultish, unscientific, backwoods, uh, feeble-minded, uninformed. That's the way a lot of people see a Christian. The reason I know that is because I saw Christians that way when I was in college. Um, when my, uh, my wife told me um, that she believed that Adam and Eve were real figures, we were, we were not even dating at this time. We were just friends. And she told me that she thought Adam and Eve were true. Uh, they were real. They were people that actually existed. And I almost spit out my water because I was so, I like guffawed audibly. And I said, I didn't even think they let people into Wake Forest who believe such things. That's how arrogant I was. But that's how a lot of non-Christians think about us who are Christians, is that we are that insane. And uh, I still struggle with this old atheist in me. Um, you know, I'll meet somebody that, uh, 
believes in a literal 24-hour, uh, you know, seven-day creation account, and I'll say, she's an insane young earther. You know, and that's, a, that's a allowable point of view. So I'm just, I'm confessing sin here. If you believe that, you're, you're within your rights uh, intellectually to believe that. Or I'll say, like, he's a crazy premillennialist. So if you know about that view of the end times, I'll, I'll be like, oh, it's such a crazy premillennialist. I'm talking to the staff or something or my wife. You know, he's a demented TR. TR is like a really conservative Presbyterian. Um, so I still throw out these terms. Um, well, I read the story of the flood or the Tower of Babel or the talking donkey of Balaam or the sun standing still in Joshua. And I'm like, this is all, this is crazy stuff. So it, lest you think that the family of Jesus was, was somehow um, unthinkable in the way they treated him, consider the way that you might treat him or the way you treat the Bible or the church. A very rare, honest atheist uh, was a man named Christopher Hitchens. Great writer. Uh, uh, British man died recently. Not really a philosopher, more of a journalist, but absolutely brilliant, great writer. He actually was willing to say Jesus was insane, which I really appreciate. Most agnostics and atheists are not willing to go that far. But he was actually willing to say it. And here's a quote. He says, how is it moral to claim a monopoly on access to heaven? And then to threaten dissenters with everlasting fire. Such a person, if not divine, is a fanatic. So what he's saying is, how is it moral for Jesus to claim a monopoly on access to heaven and then to threaten people with hell who don't agree? Uh, How would that be a moral thing to do unless he was God? If he's not God, then he's absolutely insane. How could any one of us make that claim? That's what Hitchens is saying. I think Hitchens is right. He's right. Either Jesus is divine or he's insane or he's evil. Uh, Nobody that ever met him thought he was a great moral teacher. He never had that response. People that met him either loved him and bowed to him and worshipped him or they hated him and they ran from him and they wanted to kill him. Those are the responses. Nobody was like, oh, what a great moral teacher. In verse 22, the scribes came from Jerusalem and they said... uh, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. In other words, he gets his power from Satan. That's how he's casting out these demons. This was probably an official delegation led by maybe even Nicodemus. If you know the story of Nicodemus in John 3, he perhaps led this official delegation. To, they came up from Jerusalem. They came to Capernaum where Jesus was. And they were determining whether Capernaum was a seduced city. That's what they called them, a seduced city. In other words, a city that was being led astray by a madman, by something similar to an evil wizard, um, like a Voldemort, that, that they said Capernaum is a seduced city because this guy is so evil. Uh, in the Talmud, which was written around the same time that Jesus lived, uh, it says Yeshua was hanged on Passover because he practiced sorcery. This was a very early text written about the time of Jesus And the Talmud didn't think he was just a great moral teacher. They said he practiced sorcery. So, you know, not many people are willing to come right out and say that Jesus was evil. I mean, Hitchens did. I like that about him. Um, But there are a lot of people who think, and you might be one of them, that the Bible is perhaps bigoted or misogynistic or violent. Um, That church history is oppression. It's a history of oppression. Or that missions, you know, going to overseas and sharing the gospel is imperialism, spiritual imperialism. In other words, that everything that produced Jesus and everything that was produced by Jesus is pretty much evil. Um, that is pretty much the same thing as what the um, scribes thought. 
that he produced a lot of bad stuff in the world. That this man has a legacy, uh, there is a legacy from Jesus that, as my brother says, uh, nothing has done more harm to the world than the church. That's what my brother said. I said, thanks, I'm a pastor. <laughs> um, but he knew what he was saying. Um, and I think if, if Jesus is not God, I think my brother's right. I think he's, he's right. Um, now, notice the response of Jesus to this. And now we're moving into the second point. That whole first point was about the strong man, the liar, who seduces people, whether they be the family or the scribes. Now we're moving into the response of Jesus. Uh, and look in verse 23. It's not moral indignation, which is kind of, for us as Christians, very important here. It's not helpful to get your back up and to get really loud and shrill and angry. Uh, it's kind of this gentle mockery. He's kind of playing with them. And uh, he says, come on over here, you know, fellas. Verse 23. He's like, okay, let me ask you a very simple question. Uh, how can Satan, you say I'm Satan, and yet I'm casting out all these demons. How can, why would Satan come and cast out demons? Like, why would I be liberating all these people from the evil that is inside of them if I were evil? You know, I'm, I'm expelling demons. I'm healing paralytics. I'm healing blind people. I'm bringing all this good, all these things that Satan hates and now you're saying that I am possessed by the prince of demons. How does that make any sense? He's just asking a very logical question, kind of making fun of them with this little parable. How can Satan cast out Satan? And then he says in verse 24, another brilliant point of logic, a kingdom divided itself cannot stand. If a kingdom has divided itself, in other words, if Satan came in to attack Satan, it's not going to be able to stand. You know, if Caesar would not, in other words, Caesar would not lay siege to Rome. So if I'm evil, I'm not going to attack my own stronghold if I'm evil. So now we're getting into the liberator. Uh, the liar is basically, just to recap, um, it's like the Stockholm Syndrome. If you know what that is. In the Stockholm Syndrome, people who are act, actually captives, uh, who are taken hostage, begin to think that their uh, captor is their liberator. And that's kind of what the strong man has us believe. Um, that, uh, that the one who has come to save us is actually the one who hates us. When we got our dog um, for the first time uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the dog was uh, terrified and would sit in its cage, and as we came close to it, would snarl, and its, the hairs would go up on the back, and it would, uh, it would snap and, and try to bite, and um, it was thinking that the person who was coming to set it free and bring it home was actually trying to kill it. And that's kind of what the strong man has us believe. And now Jesus says, no, I am here. Uh, I am here to attack the kingdom of darkness. I am here to plunder the strong man's house. I am here to set you free, the liberator. Look at verse 28. Uh, this is kind of the liberation. All sins will be forgiven or loosened or set free. All sinners will be set free, except for one thing. And this is a very controversial point. Uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people ask me, uh, with a lot of fear, they say, have I committed the sin against the Holy Spirit? And I say, if you've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be asking me if you've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. You would not be worried about that if you had committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. Because the sin against the Holy Spirit is what these scribes are doing. They're saying that he has an unclean spirit, verse 30. I mean, that verse 30 comes right after this. Uh, it defines the sin against the Holy Spirit as anyone who says, 
that the one who is liberating people is actually an oppressor. Um, that's the sin against the Holy Spirit. These scribes came and they saw all the mercy of Jesus, all the healing of Jesus, all the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, and they said, that's awful. That's death. That, that's false. That's seduction. And that's what the sin against the Holy Spirit is. It's to hate the works of Christ. It's to see somebody set free by Christ and say, that's awful. And if you get to the point where you think that grace is immoral, um, then you cannot receive forgiveness because you would block it out as a wrong thing, as an evil thing. Imagine somebody that thought um, that fresh air was toxic and that cigarette smoke uh, was healthy. You know, that's what, that, that's hell, really. It's hell to think that the world of Christ's grace is choking you and killing you. It'd be like somebody saying, I'm not leaving my room full of smoke. I'm not going outside because I hate the fresh air. And uh, it's kind of like saying, I never ask for forgiveness. I just try to do better. Which actually Donald Trump said, very publicly said that in the Iowa caucus. He said, uh, I never ask for forgiveness. I just try to do better. And you know, that's like that far from the sin against the Holy Spirit. It's saying, the world of forgiveness is anathema to me. That's not the world I live in. I don't like that world. I like the world of doing better. And uh, not needing mercy, not needing grace, but just like, I'm going to be a good person. That's, uh, that's what we're talking about here. The, the binding of the strong man is like taking those thoughts captive and saying, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to think that way. Um, that's what Jesus does. In verse 27, he says that he has come in to plunder the goods. He's come in to bind the strong man. And no one can plunder his goods unless he first binds up the strong man. So he's, he's buying up lies. You know, I just saw Spider-Man, the, rated, the latest Spider-Man. And I love how, you know, Doc Ock is this man with these gigantic octopus-like tentacles on his back. And he's like trying to clamp down everything and kill people. And Spider-Man like grabs him in that web and just ties him up. And that's what the strong man is doing. He's being bound. All his attempts to bring lies and attack uh, Spider-Man like puts him in a web and just like a cocoon. He's bound. He can't get. He can't create this havoc. And so your mind is screaming. You know, it's absurd. It's a joke. It's a pretty make-believe. And he says, "Quiet. Be still. Let your mind be at ease. I've come to. I've come to bind those lies." I don't know if you've read *The Silver Chair* by C.S. Lewis, but there's this green witch, this green lady. And she takes the children down to her underworld and she plays this little harp and she throws this incense in the air and she tries to get them to believe that the world of the sun and the world of Aslan, the giant lion who's like the Christ figure, is all a... She says it's, it's all a pretty make-believe. It's all a pretty make-believe. And that's what the strong man's trying to get you to believe and the, and the son of God comes and he binds it. You know, we're, we're snarling in the corner in our little lair in the strong man's house and our hair is raised and we're, we don't want him coming anywhere near us, this God of grace. And he just walks right up to us and his hands are open and he looks at us right in the eyes and he says, truly I say to you, which is another way of saying, amen, amen, I am God. Thus saith the Lord, truly I say to you, um, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. Now think about that statement. All sins will be forgiven. First of all, truly, truly, I say to you, and then all sins will be forgiven. The children of men, including all blasphemy. So you could say whatever you want. You could rail against God. You could hate God. You could scream against God, except for one thing. 
And it's kind of like in the garden when Satan fixes their minds on the one tree they can't have. And what do, what do we do? We go right to that one sin. Like, what is the one sin? What's the sin against the I can't believe you talked about the sin against the Holy Spirit. And yet he just said, he just said to you, all of them will be forgiven. Whatever blasphemies, except this one little tiny thing. And that's, that's the liberation. He's basically saying, I will forgive you anything you want to be forgiven. If you want any forgiveness for anything at all, immediately I say to you, your sins are forgiven. It's like he says to the thief on the cross at his dying minute, in the last few minutes of his life, this guy hasn't done anything to recommend himself to God. This guy has not done anything to pay back. There's been no good works at all. And Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's, that's the liberation from, the, from the, the house of the strong man, where his arms are open to the end. And he, it's, it's a kingdom where he wants all sinners to come to him. I mean, the whole point of the parable is the plunder, isn't it? Like, why did this strong man ever come into the house? Um, it's to get the plunder out. Verse 27, he first binds the strong man so that he may plunder the house. That's what he's going for. His eyes are on the plunder. The liberator comes into the house in the first place to get the plunder, to get us back, because we are the treasure. We are what he wants. We are why he came. He entered the strong man's world knowing he'd be crucified. He came here knowing that he'd be crucified. He knew that people would call him insane. He knew that people would call him evil. He knew they would take him and crucify him. And he was completely undeterred. To him, it was a no-brainer. You know, not even, not, even a, not even a second's hesitation. It says in Hebrews 12, too, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And, and you are the joy, and I am the joy that was set before him. It was to have a people for himself, a forgiven people uh, like Junia that are baptized and part of his community. That's the joy that was set before him. And those are the bolt cutters that set you free. Is when you realize in this meal how much he wants you. And how little he is a liar and how little he is evil, how little he is an oppressor. Um, he is not trying to control you. He, he is not trying to twist your arm. I mean, a lot of people have had really bad religious experiences where, and they're, in their religious experience, they've been manipulated a lot and lied to a lot and deceived. And these are the bolt cutters that break all of those lies. Remember, we love these rascals.